on the front lines of the Karameas Creek wildfire. The fire's going to kick the hell out of us for a little while. Evacuations and a highway closure with homeowners facing a difficult choice. If you lost this, we don't know what we would do, right? Plus, disturbing details in the death of Noelle Osu. She's a 14-year-old girl. Why was she in a unit with a 40-year-old man? What a global news investigation reveals about her disappearance and the of her body. And a tourist assaulted in downtown Vancouver. You looked at her and he just went smack. The attack that came out of nowhere and the good Samaritan who came to her rescue. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with the latest on the wildfire front in our province. This reprieve from the heat is favoring crews who are fighting the Karameas Creek wildfire tonight. BC Wildfire Service says cooler temperatures and higher humidity means that fire is not taking off as had been expected today. That, mixed with the addition of more firefighters arriving on the scene, could help crews gain the upper hand soon. I think one thing that's really heartening to see is just the number of boots that are on the ground now and uh, the plans that are in place and that we're operationalizing in terms of uh, working now to contain contain the fire on uh, some of the critical flanks uh, and having uh, crews really stringing out and trying to connect the dots uh, wherever they can. As of this morning, there are 229 firefighters on scene. They're working on wetting the ground north of Karameas along Highway 3A, which is closed now to the Highway 97 junction. There are more than 300 homes under evacuation order and another 438 under evacuation alert which means residents should be ready to leave at a moment's notice. Officials say temporary access permits will not be granted unless it's an emergency like retrieving a pet. And Kamal Karmali is live just outside of Karameas tonight. Kamal, you have been speaking with the locals who are impacted by this wildfire and you've seen firsthand the power of the fire. Sophie, there's a lot of concern right now among the people living along Highway 3A, which is closed now, and I will show you why. Uh, this is the Kermius Creek wildfire in its current form, and just at the top of that hill there is where the fire began. You can see now through the smoke how it's cascaded slowly downwards over the span of days, and in that valley at the bottom of that hill is where Highway 3A is. Firefighters are currently trying to keep that fire at bay from jumping onto the highway. Meanwhile, there are a lot of people who live along that stretch of road who are choosing to stay. With each passing minute, the threat of the wildfire destroying the Cedar Creek Ranch near Karameas inches closer. The Carter family's property is inside the evacuation order zone. But they say they're not going anywhere. <laughs> we can't just leave. I mean, as you can see right here, we have 10 or 8 Yearland bulls right here, right? So I mean, you can't just all leave. With a lot at stake, they'd rather dig their heels in and fight. The Karameas Creek wildfire has been roaring now for days, visible to almost everyone in the evacuation zone in the South Okanagan Valley near Penticton. The biggest concern is the cattle. David Lusted has been risking the drive to the edge of the fire to check in on roaming livestock, seeing firsthand every day the heroic efforts of firefighters. It's extremely steep. The young, young people that work for the fire service 
and the, the attack crew that we have up here, uh, they're tough as nails. The steep terrain, just one of the factors that firefighters are contending with in trying to put out this blaze. The wind is another factor, and right now it's blowing in this direction. And even as we were filming at the outskirts of the blaze... We want you to get down there and below that. Yeah. A turn for the worse. The fire shifts course and grows in size. Their concern would be we'd be trapped. Cut us access off from going home. Our team has to race back down. And so do many of the firefighters on this day having to give up plenty of ground. The fire's going to kick the hell out of us for a little while. It's doing what it always does. It just swings in another direction. Worse than you expected it to be? I mean, uh, or considerably the... worse. I didn't expect this at all. But the threat has now grown significantly for the Carter's Ranch. Even then, after seeing Lytton burned to the ground and still not rebuilt, they say they're not leaving until the fire is right at their doorstep. We lose everything. Like, yeah. this is our, like, income, this is everything for us, right? This is our home. If we lost this, we don't know what we would do. All right, Kamal, glad to see uh, you and your cameraman, Pat Bell, are safe. So what is the latest on Highway 3A on that road closure, and will Penticton be affected by the fire? Right. So right now we've been hearing from fire crews who say they are right working along the side of Highway 3A, trying to keep that blaze at bay and prevent it from jumping the highway to come to this side of the highway where we are. Plenty of farms and homes on both sides of the highway, but at least they're trying to con keep it contained right now at one side of the highway. And when it comes to Penticton, right now crews say that uh, because of the weather and the way it's been cooperating in some capacity, uh, the biggest city in the region, which once again is Penticton, is not under threat at this hour, but plenty of work once again to do, Sophie, uh, before everyone here is in the clear. Back over mm -hmm. to you. I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that. Kamal Karmali reporting near Karameas for us. A wildfire burning northwest of Kamloops has put a number of properties on evacuation alert. The Watching Creek wildfire is now about 195 hectares and is considered to be a wildfire of note. That means it poses a potential threat to public safety. Late Monday afternoon, B.C. wildfire evacuated ground crews from the area because of increased fire behavior. The properties on evacuation alert are on the northwest edge of Lac de Bois Grasslands Protected Area and east, including Pass Lake, McQueen Lake and Isabel Lake. Now, provincially, the hot stretch of weather has fueled the wildfire situation. There are currently 97 active wildfires burning in this province, 54 of which were sparked just in the last two days. 69 of the active fires in B.C. were caused by lightning. There are four wildfires of note right now. The Karameas Creek wildfire, the Nahoman Creek wildfire burning near Lytton, Maria Creek wildfire burning northeast of Pavilion, and of course the Watching Creek wildfire. Well, a homeless man is being praised as a hero today for stepping in to help a tourist who'd been attacked by another homeless man in Vancouver's West End. As Kristen Robinson reports, it is just the latest in a series of violent stranger assaults in the city. One of the latest victims of a Vancouver stranger attack, a tourist in her 60s, is escorted to a waiting ambulance after police and witnesses say she was punched in the face. You looked at her and he just went snap. Right, right here. It happened just before 9 a.m. Tuesday at the McDonald's on Davy at Cardero in the city's West End. 
the suspect, police say, was trying to access the washroom. When he realized it was occupied, he became very violently frustrated, uh, began kicking the door, and he threw his coffee. This coffee then in turn landed on um, one of the victims. When the woman asked him to leave, James Mickelson says the suspect, who is homeless like him, attacked her, forcing him to step in. The main thing is he hit a woman. I hate that. So I had to toss him. As I was grabbing him and bringing him to the counter with, the, with my right arm, detaining his other arm, he spun around and put, started to put a, the tip of the butter knife right in here. Mickelson says he managed to fight the suspect off. I grabbed him with this arm and went like this, threw him out the door with his cart. I let him up and pushed his cart out, and that's when the knife fell out of his hand. The suspect was arrested and is facing assault and weapons charges. The man in his 40s is known to police and Mickelson. This is the second time I put that gentleman to the ground. While police say Vancouver is still seeing an average of four random and unprovoked attacks per day, they urge people not to intervene. However, in this case, uh, this man, you know, did a very heroic gesture. He stood up to somebody and uh, confronted somebody in a, in a time of danger. So it's very brave of him to do so. Mickelson is well known on Davie Street, where many, including artist Sasha Cristiano, are applauding his actions. The characters in this kind of community, we surprisingly enough have a, a lot of strong morals and kind of Impulsive, so you would expect something like that. I'm surprised you heard him any further, I guess, for such disrespect. Later. Unfazed, Mickelson managed to finish his morning coffee after his heroic turn. It's like I said, you never hit a woman in my presence because you'll regret it. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, BC Housing's CEO, Shane Ramsey, is retiring. In an open letter, Ramsey detailed his reasons for doing so, saying he no longer has the confidence that he can solve the complex issues facing this province. Our Keith Baldry joins us with more. Uh, seemed to be a bit of a surprise announcement, Keith, and a very personal statement. Ramsey talked about threats he's faced to his safety and systemic problems. Yeah, we'll get to the statement in a moment, uh, Sophie. But this follows, uh, it's been a, sort of a month of turmoil for BC Housing. An Ernst & Young report detailed uh, a lack of uh, good management structure in the company or in the government agency. Then the then Housing Minister David Eady fired most of the board of, of directors of BC Housing. Today, uh, Shane Ramsey surprisingly announcing that he's taking early retirement. And he talks about lying awake at night because of all the violences he's seen, literally outside his office door, largely directed at homeless people. And he also went in, we'll see the statement now, about how troubled he is by the pushback he's seen to, uh, from social housing proposals. These incidents are not, uh, from the interior to the west side, doubtless small but vocal groups increasingly angry and hostile, while one community faces the almost uncertain prospect of poverty, uh, violence, and premature death. Others are now unwilling to provide a welcoming space, a space that could save lives. He ends up pointing that the, the straw that broke the back for him was last week's shooting on Hastings. I think that he's shooting on Hastings Street, surrounded by the encampment, and during another heat wave, finally did it for me. I no longer have confidence I can solve the complex problems facing us at BC Housing. Now, given the fact the board was fired, there was questions about whether he was going to continue. Uh, his last day now on the job is September 6th. He basically says he wants to retire and spend more time with his grandkids, but he's basically pointing a situation that seems to be broken. BC Housing running into direct uh, opposition from community groups who do not want their projects within their community parameters. We'll see if his successor has any more success. 
All right. Thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. Well, we have reported a number of times recently on attacks involving the use of bear spray. And now one municipality is looking at sweeping changes to how bear spray is sold. A proposed bylaw is being considered in Port Coquitlam. And as Imadagahi reports, Poco isn't the only city where the chemical is being used as a weapon. It's a helpful wilderness tool. And when used right can potentially be life-saving. You got bear spray for me? And you could probably find it at most of the stores you go to. We sell it on a daily basis. So why is a BC municipality seriously considering restriction on its sale? They should not use it on humans. That's right. (laughs) A number of concerns that were raised, um, in particular from parents within the communities, where their child was being targeted um, by other uh, minors and and being bear sprayed and being attacked. The city of Port Coquitlam is currently in the process of trying to flex its business license muscle. A new bylaw, if approved by its council, would only let those over 19 buy bear spray and store owners could only display the product behind a lock. What we're really trying to do here is make sure that those stores that do decide to sell bear spray in particular um, are doing it in the right way. So if you were to get hit with this uh, at this range, I would say you'd probably have to go to the hospital. There are currently no rules on bear spray sales in B.C. At Wesley's military surplus in New Westminster, Sadiq Dea keeps his stock behind the counter and says he asks younger buyers follow-up questions before a sale. If it sounds like they're going to use it as a weapon, then we'd probably stay away from selling to him. He says a restriction would not necessarily stop people from buying bear spray from others or online. It felt like I was being seared in a frying pan. It was just pure torture. But with the use of bear spray appearing more and more in recent Metro Vancouver thefts and assaults, City staff in Port Coquitlam see this bylaw as a potential way to keep what is clearly a debilitating weapon when used on people. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Falling in the wrong hands. Emadagahi, Global News. According to Statistics Canada, the number of police-reported violent crime is on the rise. Newly released figures show sexual assaults are now at the highest level since 1996, and hate crimes are also up. As Richard Zussman reports, the numbers, as shocking as they are, may not even tell the whole story. Crime on the rise. When we compare British Columbia to the other major provinces in the country, uh, we're at the bottom of the pack in terms of the uh, the overall increase in, in the rate of violent crime. On Tuesday, Statistics Canada releasing the latest crime severity index. Overall, crime in Canada is at an index of 73.7. In BC, above the national average at 92.9, down 5% from a year ago. But when it comes to violent crimes, the Canadian benchmark is 92.5, up 5%. In BC, it's 95.2, up 4%. This is a province that uh, is spending uh, nowhere near what it needs to on, on the mental health and addiction supports that many uh, vulnerable British Columbians uh, uh, require. What makes you think it's okay to smack me in the ass? One of the most startling increases is police-reported sexual assaults, now at the highest level since 1996. In B.C., 4,524 reported assaults, an index of 87, up 15% over last year, Canada-wide sexual assaults up 18%, and family violence up 4%.
this is a, a very serious uh, cultural problem that we've had with us for decades. And what we need to see is, of course, a broad-based approach that includes funding frontline organizations. And there's even more concern, considering the number of sexual assaults reported to police is a significant underestimation. We know for every report, there are even more that go unreported because this is actually one of the most unreported violent crimes in Canada. Police reported hate crimes have also continued to rise. Across Canada, more than 2,600 incidents reported in 2020, up to more than 3,300 in 2021, a 27% increase. Pandemic is almost kind of dwindled down, and yet, you know, the hate crime continues to rise. So hence, I'm very concerning about the situation. The B.C. government has introduced legislation to track racism directly, but there's calls for more to be done, including both providing more information on hate crimes and more measures to increase public confidence that they will be stopped. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And we have some breaking news to tell you about. Vancouver police are investigating the discovery of a body in East Vancouver. Police say the body was found near Slocan and East 28th Avenue this afternoon. They're still investigating whether it's suspicious and the cause of death has not yet been determined. We'll bring you more on this story as details come into our newsroom. A grieving family searching for answers in the death of their loved one. 13-year-old Noelle Osoup had been missing for nearly a year when her body was found in an SRO on East Hastings in May. But as a global news investigation has now uncovered, the young teen's body had actually been there for months, undiscovered, despite the fact police had actually been to the unit. The exclusive details next on the News Hour. It's the kind of thing nightmares are made of for some. The big slithering surprise two construction workers in the Okanagan found while tearing down a shed later. Plus, are you on the EV bandwagon? Now the province is hoping to spark your interest in electric vehicles. That's later. But first, a global exclusive now that includes some disturbing details. Weeks after the discovery of the body of 13-year-old Noelle Osoup, Global News has learned the young teen's remains had actually been hidden for months inside the SRO of an unknown man, somehow overlooked by virtually everyone, including police. Sarah McDonald has the details in the first part of an investigative series into the life and death of a vulnerable child failed by those tasked with protecting her. For week after week after week, we now know she was here. A 13-year-old child who somehow vanished while in the care of the province. Noelle Osoup's remains only finally found in May in the same unit where she lay dead and undetected for months. Noelle had been in the apartment deceased for quite a long period of time. And in that period of time, officers had come into the building, like they'd removed another deceased person while there were still two deceased people 
in the unit for months. Global News has learned the remains of Noelle and those of a woman in her 30s would only be discovered more than two months after the tenant occupying that unit. A man in his 40s was discovered dead himself. His sudden death is not considered suspicious, but that of Noelle and the other female found dead alongside her are and now under investigation by the Vancouver Police Department's major crime section. He was found and then Noelle a few months later. So there is that gap. And of course, the family had questions about that. Why didn't somebody do an investigation right away? Why didn't they go through the whole room? It's a small room. Despite that, according to sources, the remains of those two female victims were only ultimately discovered by building maintenance staff, not Vancouver police, following months of complaints by other residents of an overwhelming and persistent foul stench. Claws like, oh, it smells like death, but blood is, has a strong sense. I was having a hard time eating. I was just like mortified. Grace Billiquois, who lives in a neighboring unit, repeatedly raised concerns about the inescapable and unmistakable smell. Honestly, there was a smell eight months prior to his death. We all tried to make the scent go away, and we tried to tell him he has to deal with it. Still, the Vancouver Police Department is refusing to release its call records involving this building, refusing any comments altogether on its potential investigative blunder or the identity of the man who lived alongside dead bodies for months, refusing to confirm, even to family, if he's being investigated in connection to these suspicious deaths or any others. Why was she in the unit with a 40-year-old man or over 40-year-old man? There's no reason for her to be there. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner launching an investigation of its own into the actions of a single Vancouver police officer for neglect of duty, confirming to Global News the basis of the allegation relates to conduct surrounding attendance at a suite where three deceased individuals were ultimately located. It seems pretty astounding to me that a single officer is being investigated for negligence when we have heard from easily a dozen people who had interactions with VPD officers and were ignored. And that includes multiple reported sightings of Noelle in and around this building while she was still alive and extremely vulnerable. It's so upsetting to think that if maybe one of these people had been taken seriously that Noelle might still be with us. An avoidable tragedy left haunting those who loved Noelle and those who never knew her at all. I feel like I could have done something to prevent that. Like, that's like my sisters. It hurts. And a child who fell through the cracks of a broken system failed even in death. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Vancouver police have confirmed its major crime section is investigating the death of a 25-year-old Coquitlam woman. Quem Manuel Godfredson was last seen Wednesday and was reported missing by her family. Police say her body was found inside a building near East Hastings and Hawks Avenue on Saturday. The B.C. Coroner Service is investigating the cause of death and police are investigating the circumstances surrounding her disappearance and her death. Well, Crown prosecutors have wrapped their closing arguments in the trial of a Dutch man accused of harassing and extorting BC teen Amanda Todd before she took her own life. Krista Dow is live outside the courthouse with more on what was said today and what happens next. Krista? 
Sophie, we have heard from the Crown, and for the first time throughout this trial, we're hearing from Aidan Coban's defense team about their theory laying out a case for why they believe the jury should acquit the 44-year-old Dutch man of all five charges. Now, we'll start with the Crown and their closing submissions today, arguing that a Skype account linked to one of the sextortionist alias was in use at the cabin about five minutes before Coban was arrested. The Crown alleges it was Coban who used 22 online aliases to target the teen with a, quote, persistent campaign of sextortion and say, quote, all roads lead to Mr. Coban. In defense's closing submissions, they argue the Crown has not proven the charges against Aidan Coban beyond a reasonable doubt. The main issue here is identity and who was actually behind the messages and social media accounts on the charge of harassment. Defense spent considerable time this afternoon focusing on whether Amanda actually feared for her safety, arguing there were inconsistencies between messages she posted online compared to messages sent privately. We've been waiting for 10 years for this trial, and nothing can ever prepare you for um, defense to start criticizing um, your daughter. Someone who, Amanda's not here to defend herself. All right, Krista, do we know when the jury might get uh, instructions from the judge, the judge's charge to the jury, as it's called? Well, Sophie, the defense will continue their closing submissions tomorrow, trying to poke holes in the Crown's evidence. We do expect the jury to be sequestered by the end of the week. All right, a long journey for the Todd family. Thank you for that. Krista Dow reporting tonight. Coming up, the next phase of vaccinations finally begins. I know it's going to be a big relief for a lot of parents that we have this protection now. Why health officials say the COVID shot is key to preventing young children from experiencing serious illness. Plus, environmental activists target Vancouver. Why SUV drivers might want to keep an eye on their tires. Still some leftover volume here through Richmond, westbound on the east-west connector near number 7 road after clearing a minor rear-ender just right by the golf course. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, hive of the east-west connector in Richmond. BC's pediatric vaccination program started today, delivering shots to children under the age of five. And while some parents might be hesitant, Dr. Bonnie Henry is assuring them the vaccines are safe and can prevent serious illness. Kylie Stanton reports. Okay, we're going to do our little wipe. A couple of steps. And then you bend your elbow. A couple of seconds. Let's do it. Are you ready? And it's over. Done. Before you know it. Pretty awesome. We're all vaccinated and ready to roll. We're pretty excited about it. Four-year-old Eli Litke was one of the first to receive the pediatric Moderna Spike Vax vaccine in BC, kicking off the province's rollout of the vaccination program for children between six months and five years of age. I know it's going to be a big relief for a lot of parents that we have this protection now. And we've been waiting for a long time. Health Canada approved the vaccine for young children back in July. Parents who had registered and booked appointments lined the block in Vancouver, many anxiously waiting for this moment. We'll be more relaxed, like at least we won't be like scared of every single move. 
The dose is only a quarter of what adults receive, 25 micrograms, administered roughly eight weeks apart. Clinical trials conducted after Omicron became the dominant variant of the virus found it to be about 51% effective for kids six months to two years and nearly 37% effective for those between two and five. These vaccines have been extensively tested now. We know they work and we know they're safe. Immunizations are really part of life. And so it's important that we get our kids vaccinated. But it's still proving to be a challenge to get parents on board. Of the 208,000 children in this age group eligible for the vaccine, there are currently just more than 13,000 children registered, with even fewer appointments booked at just over 8,200. The hope is to see those numbers rise, particularly before the start of the school year and the onset of flu season. We're going out to the community to just explain why this is so important and also if people have questions to call into their local public health unit to talk to a public health nurse to get more information from a trusted source about why this is important. Way to go, bud. But there was no hesitation here. Clinics are now open right across the province. Kelly Stanton, Global News. The B.C. government is increasing rebate amounts for people buying new electric vehicles. The maximum rebate for the lease or purchase of a new electric or plug-in hybrid vehicle is being upped from three dollars to $4,000. People with annual incomes as high as $80,000 are eligible for the full rebate, while anyone who makes up to $100,000 a year can get a rebate of up to $2,000. And those with an annual income of over $100,000 will not be eligible. Earlier this year, the province also stopped collecting PST on used electric vehicles. Coming up, a warning for SUV drivers on the Lower Mainland. After deflating tires on Vancouver Island, a self-described environmentalist group turns its attention to Vancouver. Plus, Save Old Growth stops traffic again. The disruption in Stanley Park next. Counterflow is out here at the Massey Tunnel, but after clearing some earlier problems, still seeing some delays for southbound traffic on the 99 on the approach. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A self-described activist group that allegedly deflated the tires of dozens of SUVs in Greater Victoria now appears to be turning its attention to the Lower Mainland. The group, called Tire Extinguishers, is using the tactic to draw attention to pollution caused by larger vehicles. While deflating tires may seem harmless, it could come with serious consequences. Grace Key reports. This is the sound that one group is promising will soon be heard in Vancouver neighbourhoods. They call themselves tire extinguishers. Their target, gas-guzzling SUVs. This British news organisation followed a pair as they made their way through Clifton. You could be interfering with a life-and-death situation doing this, couldn't you? The movement has made its way to Canada. According to social media, their next target, Vancouver. In the past few days, they claim to have hit 34 SUVs in Victoria and Oak Bay. 
Bay. No arrests have been made. One criminal lawyer discusses possible charges. I think that the most obvious charge that they could face would be a charge of mischief. And mischief can be quite a serious charge if the Crown decides to proceed by way of indictment, which would elevate the penalty and even put jail time on the table. Leaflets left on vehicles explain how SUVs cause more pollution than smaller cars. Their website details how hybrids and electric cars are fair game. Normal-sized cars, trades vehicles, and cars used for people with disabilities are to be avoided. Shame on them. Very disappointing. But that's not easy to discern. In San Francisco, a victim who started driving before she realized her tire was flat uses her SUV to transport young people with disabilities to sporting events. I'm going to be half an hour late, so I've had to let the team know, so hopefully there won't be any delays that patient's care. In England, a trauma surgeon was trying to get to work. And in Victoria, a father expressed concern for his daughter, who's nine months pregnant. This is not the way to get the message across, and they're targeting the wrong people. Oak Bay police released a description of a possible suspect, thin, Caucasian man with light brown hair in his early 20s. He was seen driving away in a light blue car. It's believed tires were deflated in the early morning hours of July 29th. Grace Key, Global News. Well, they said they were going to stop disrupting traffic for their protests, but Save Old Growth was back at it this morning. The environmental group dedicated to stopping old growth logging in the province moved in and partially blocked the Stanley Park Causeway near Lost Lagoon just after 7.30 this morning for about 10 minutes. When police began to arrive at the scene, they quickly fled into the park and traffic resumed with minimal impact. Still to come tonight, Snake in a Shed. Whoa, what's that? What do we got here? The surprising discovery and the neighbor who was brave enough to rescue it. And the winner is the top prize awarded in this year's Celebration of Light. Today is the kind of weather I can (laughs) get behind, Yvonne. Oh, just a nice, what a difference a day makes so far. We've had a temperatures cool down for many areas. We're actually tracking the potential for some precipitation. So a brief relief from all the heat that we've been tracking over the last little while. Temperatures are currently sitting at 22. We've got actually breezy conditions right now to the airport. We're seeing gusts of up to 30 kilometers per hour. A look at some of the numbers for a few other spots across the province into the low 30s with Lytton at 31. Areas near Trail today at 33. So low 30s for the interior and there is a drop in temperatures as early as tomorrow and even Tofino today just getting up to 16 degrees. An area of concern I did want to outline, we've got a few thunderstorms rolling across the region, but a special weather statement is in effect for Fort Nelson, Munchell Lake Park, where we're seeing the potential for rain heavy at times this evening, continuing for tomorrow and a range between 30 and potentially up to 50 millimeters of rainfall. We are going to see that brush of precipitation for most areas along the southern half. Starts to pick up late in the day for tomorrow through the evening hours. And then on Thursday, we do have cloud cover with on and off showers across the region. So we are looking at a drop in temperatures as well and the potential for some precipitation for most areas. We'll see that brief break, but just a heads up, it is going to warm up once again, leading in towards the weekend. Not nearly as hot, but we'll see that jump in temperatures once again. A break for the interior for both Thursday, Friday, and then heating up leading into the weekend and early next week. The Northeast 
eastern corner, so it's Fort Nelson with rain heavy at times. Much of the central and southern half of the province will see those on and off showers. We are going to see the temperatures just into the upper 20s tomorrow for the southern interior and along the south coast. We will be tracking showers late in the day and continuing in towards our Thursday. Clears out quite quickly by Friday. Rebounding leading into the weekend with that sunshine and areas away from the water getting up to 28 and 29. We've had a significant amount of thunderstorms in the interior and this is a great shot that was captured by Ellen. I, I'm so that is quite a shot. Thank you very much, Yvonne. Well, Team Canada has been officially announced as the winner of the 2022 Honda Celebration of Light after the festival wrapped its 30th annual event. Canada was represented by Midnight Sun Fireworks, and they pulled off what judges call a near-perfect performance on the second day of the festival. Roughly 1.3 million people watched the three nights of competition Thousands of people also took in the popular Morton Park Festival Zone to watch the nightly air shows. All right, let's bring in Squire Barnes. Did you see any of the fireworks? No, but one year I was a judge. Were you a judge? I was a judge, yeah. I, I couldn't figure out how do you actually differentiate between the various fireworks displayed. They're all great. Like, yeah. what's the nuance I'm supposed to be looking for to decide who's the winner? You're just not judgmental enough. I you need to I'm get more not. judgy. No, I was, I was more egalitarian. I wanted to give up. <laughs> Everybody gets a trophy. That's so kind of you. Isn't it? Uh, Golf Canada boss Kevin Blue is truly a hands-on boss, not an undercover boss. This week he is playing in the Canadian Amateur. To, to be able to experience it from, from that point of view really helps us figure out, are we meeting the players' needs? Yeah, he's on course with the players that Golf Canada is trying to develop to be the next professionals in the PGA and LPGA, and he can play. And later tonight, a startling discovery and a daring rescue. The six-foot-long guest found slithering around the backyard. Still to come. Are you comfortable? <laughs> yes. As a you were adjusting fact, a little bit, so well, I, I like make sure you're good. This seat was a little bit slanted, if you want to know the real truth. Oh, that seat's broken. Oh, thanks for giving it <laughs> <laughs> then you ask me if I'm comfortable. Well, I have to stay here longer than you do, so. That is true. But this is like, who broke this seat? Did Galus break this seat? Well, he's not here, so let's blame him. Okay, let's blame him. <laughs> um, he is the biggest out of all of us. Uh, if all goes well, the newest Vancouver Whitecaps should be signed and practicing with the team tomorrow. Alessandro Schoff is a midfielder, played in Germany, played for his national team in Austria. Uh, someone Axel Schuster knows pretty well. But even if he does practice tomorrow and signs on, he probably won't be match fit for a few weeks. Now, Alfonso Davies, former Whitecap, doesn't know yet what he'll make playing for Canada at this year's World Cup, which starts in November. But hopefully it's a lot because he's giving it all to charity as a thank you to this country. This is what Alfonso Davies wrote on Twitter today announcing what he intends to do. This is the tweet right here. Canada welcomed me and my family gave us an opportunity for a better life. It enabled me to live my dreams. It's a great honor to play for Canada, and I want to give back, so I've decided that I will donate this year's World Cup earnings to charity. Quite frankly, Canada as a country has gotten just as much from the Davies family coming here as well. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays added four players at trade deadline day, including two-time All-Star Whit Merrifield from Kansas City, who can play both infield and outfield. He is a good player, but he is someone who could not play in Toronto last month when the Royals were visiting because he's not vaccinated. 
So that has to be dealt with for him to play home games. Toronto also brought in relief pitchers uh, Zach Pop, who's from Ontario, and Anthony Bass, who played for the Jays a couple of years ago from the Marlins. I said four, I meant three. Uh, you can never have too many relievers when you are fighting for the playoffs. Let's check out the Jays tonight. It's Jays and Rays. And the only runs so far, Bo Bichette scoring his pal, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. That's all the way back in the first inning. They're in the ninth right now, and the score is still only one nothing for Toronto. Now, the biggest trade of the day in baseball, one of the biggest ever, perhaps, Superstar outfielder Juan Soto was sent to the Padres along with first baseman Josh Bell by Washington for a package of six players. Many of those six are highly touted prospects. The Padres didn't mind sacrificing future because they believe their future is now. Soto is a two-time All-Star, World Series champ. He won this year's home run derby. 23, one of the best hitters in baseball, joins a lineup with other top-notch hitters like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. This edition makes the Padres a serious World Series contender, but they'll still have to get through teams like the Dodgers, Braves, and Mets in the National League. Well, a lot of people who run sports leagues or sports organizations never played the game they're the boss of at a high level. For example, Gary Bettman hands out the Stanley Cup, but he never played for one. Golf Canada, though, is different. Its chief officer, Kevin Blue, is a former member of Canada's national junior golf team, and he still plays the game at a very high level. And from Mississauga, Ontario, please welcome Kevin Blue. Kevin Blue is one of 252 golfers teeing it up this week in the 117th Canadian Amateur Championship. His on-course experience, though, slightly different than everyone else. Uh, I'm the chief sport officer of Golf Canada. He's an executive with serious game in the boardroom and on the course. Blue's responsibilities include the oversight, management, and strategic development of golf initiatives for the entire country. That includes junior programs, high-performance player development, and naturally amateur competitions like the one he's playing in. And who better to have in charge of all of that than someone who shot a career low 63 on two occasions and also has a few hole-in-ones to his credit. It's a fun part of my job. Um, obviously, I... Uh, I'm primarily here to support the tournament staff and, and watch the players, support the players, scout some players. Uh, but the fact that I can sort of get it around still uh, and have qualified, etc., is, is an added bonus for me, and it allows me to experience the event in a different way. There it is, and Brooke Henderson is a major champion again. Blue's biggest play is finding the next Brooke Henderson. He's the architect behind Golf Canada's lofty goal of having 30 Canadians on the LPGA and PGA tours by 2032. You know, we're really ambitious about getting a total of 30 players to the LPGA and PGA tour combined. Uh, and we believe that's possible given the extraordinary size of the player base in Canada. Like, there's just a lot of golf played in Canada for a country of 38 million people. And there's some system modifications that we... Uh, that we're in the process of implementing now, both for the high-performance program specifically and then generally in, in, the, in the golf landscape that we think will unlock that potential. And we're, we're excited about it and we're confident in these players. Blue has a deep connection to the Golf Canada brand. He played for Canada internationally, graduated from Stanford, and left his athletic director's job in California to come back home. It speaks volumes about the passion he has for the task at hand. My perspective on, on uh, being outside is that it's better to be out here with the with the players than, uh, than other things that we could be doing. So I do enjoy every step. We're trying to focus on the, the task at hand and 
more Canadian flags on the leaderboard is, is good payoff for that down the road. And at last check, he's minus one, tied for 15th. What did you ask me earlier? Are you an ophidiophobe? Ophidiophobe, mm -hmm. which is? Well, you're going to find out next. Oh. And the story might not be fit for ophidiophobes, but stick around to find oh, out. Oh, is that a snake? Well, now you gave it away. All right, Jordan Armstrong standing by with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, the city of Victoria has a pickleball controversy, and Vancouver, it seems, has a growing drum circle controversy. The weekly event at Third Beach will now be monitored by police. This after park board lifeguards stopped patrolling on Tuesday nights because they say the crowd has become unmanageable and unsafe. Some longtime participants are also concerned and feel the event is being hijacked by a different crowd, one intent on partying and becoming intoxicated. We will monitor tonight's drum circle and tell you how it went at 11. Sophie? News on the West Coast. Right. All right, thank you, Jordan. Well, finding a snake on your roof would be terrifying for many people, but Sydney Morton met with a man who helped rescue a six-foot-long snake from the roof of a shed that was being demolished, and he caught it all on camera. We always tend to exaggerate when the guy said, oh, it's a big snake. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, sure. And sure enough, I'm not exactly sure, but it's somewhere five, six feet long. So to me, that's a big snake. If you are scared of snakes, this would be a nightmare, finding a snake in the roof of an old shed being demolished. But for Kelly Blair, it's a chance to protect and rehome a slithering neighbor. Being careful not to step through a hole, etc. I see this long speckled something that's moving very slowly and they'd already said it was a snake and then you could see that it was and it started to move and it actually started to slither it looked like down the wall but it actually came back along the roof truss towards me so it, it made it actually quite easy to grab it that's when he jumped into action and climbed up the ladder to the roof of the shed guys just showed up today for the first time right to, to to tear this old shed down and obviously hadn't got far when they encountered a big snake snake in hand he climbed down the ladder and put the snake that is believed to be a bull snake which is an indigenous species in the region in this bin i would like the snake to end up in a appropriate environment for it where it's gonna survive and thrive sydney morton global news Kelowna. It's non-venomous. Well, that's good. How do you feel about snakes? If they're non-venomous, not as much uh, apprehension as if they were really venomous. True. Okay. So I think I said it wrong. Ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia. I, I, don't, I don't think I have that, but I really don't want snakes in my house. So does that make me a phobe? No, I, I don't think you're a phobe. Okay. I would never call you a phobe. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Maybe an idiot. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and once again, thank you for this lovely chair you gave me. <laughs> Good night, all. <laughs> Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.